I'm Ben, and you're listening to the Sound Logic Podcast. This is Mike. Each episode, we discuss one of music's greatest albums from Rolling Stone Magazine's Top 500 list. Brought to you by two guys with no credentials. Hello, friends. Welcome back. Uh, thank you for joining us for a special episode here. Uh, we were all very saddened to hear of the passing of Neil Peart last week, a legendary drummer and lyricist from the band Rush. And we thought we'd spend a few minutes just sharing some of our own uh, fond memories of Rush and really paying tribute to uh, one of the pioneers of prog rock drumming and one of the all-time greatest rock and roll drummers uh, to grace us with with his gifts. So, Ben, I don't know where you want to start here. I mean, I have a bunch of memories. I think yeah. of our group of friends, I was uh, earlier in kind of grabbing on to rush um but but kind of do you have some early memories of when you first heard rush or heard of neil pert yeah i think that's right you were definitely uh still are i think a bigger fan than i ever was um my early memories are are of the soundtrack to our sweet corn picking years i think i don't remember <laughs> much from before that aside from you know maybe driving around listening to the radio um but because of that uh, Canadian content requirement that we've talked about or referenced a couple times on the podcast, um, Rush, especially on classic rock stations, gets a lot of airplay. And yeah. I mean, rightly so. You know, they, they get airplay in the United States as well. But because they're Canadian and because they're good, I think those two things, when a band falls into <laughs> both those categories, they end up getting <laughs> lots and lots of love on Canadian radio stations. And so... Um, I know just a ton of Rush music that, uh, uh, you know, despite having never purchased a single album, I know a whole lot of their music. I don't have a great sense of where it falls in the timeline of the band or their, their history, um, things like that. Yeah, I can help you with that. Yeah, you, you absolutely <laughs> know way more than I do. Um, but one very early memory, and actually when I heard about Neil's passing, um, the first person I reached out to was not you, although you came to mind very quickly as well. But the first person that came to my mind was uh, my Uncle Brian, because he's actually hmm. a close friend of Neil Pert. Um, really? I, yeah, many I years ago. Know that. Uh, I think I was probably in high school. I went over to his house um, for some family get-together. And uh, on his coffee table, he had a set of drumsticks. And the drumsticks were uh, personalized uh, Neil Pert drumsticks. And I wow. was like, why do you got these? He's like, oh, Neil gave them to me. Just like <laughs> kind of <laughs> casually slips that in. And I was like, no what are you deal. talking about? He's like, oh, you didn't know that? Uh, yeah, Neil and I were, were good buddies. So... Um, when I heard the news, I immediately sent him a message and said, I had no idea it was sick. And he said, yeah, he's always been a very private guy. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. Did not want the world to know. And he said it, only a few immediate friends knew. And um, he said he right. felt, uh, my Uncle Brian said he felt a deep sense of honor that he had been uh, on the journey with the family. He said it's been oh, wow. extremely difficult because he, as a friend, has been grieving you know, this uh, uh, illness and uh, fairly rapid demise um, yeah. over the last few months, but hasn't been unable to share that with anyone because it's been 
the family's request that it's it's just not not be released in any kind of way um mm. so it was interesting to um just message it a little bit back and forth and uh I actually reached out to Uncle Brian and said, hey, do you want to come on the podcast with us as we talk about our memories of Neil? And he said, no, that's okay. I think I think partially to protect the, the relationship that they have. It's not something that, you know, he doesn't... He Neil was a private person. I don't think he feels <laughs> like he can sort of come on and just ramble on about intimate details of a, of a private person's life in that kind of way. But sure. he did say, um, thanks for thinking of me and... Uh, and he said there are two really important things to know besides being a really fantastic musician he was also a fantastic person he loved his wow. family and he enjoyed uh telling a story or two over time um i think uh that that time where i found the drumsticks on the coffee table i remember just sort of being dumbfounded and said like you know what what in the world here and i think my uncle brian had some tie with the family in general because he also has okay. memories of uh, Neil's dad, uh, who I think uh, was a, a career um, carpenter of some kind, maybe plumber, and would always give Neil a hard time that he never took up the family business. Like even though he was, uh, <laughs> you know, incredibly famous uh, rock star, um, right? He'd always sort of say like. And there's money in plumbing. You should have stuck around here, you know that kind of uh, <laughs> thing. So, uh, yeah, I don't. I, I'm definitely not as big of a fan as you are, but but those are some some memories that came to mind right away when I heard of uh, of his passing. Well, geez, thanks for thanks for sharing that. That's really I didn't know that about about your uncle Brian, and that's really special what he said about you know these yeah. are things you need to know about Neil and. Um, you know, you say I'm a bigger fan. Certainly there are thousands of people who are bigger fans than I am. And I came into it, you know, being, we were born, you and I were born in 82. So that's already, right. you know, eight years after Rush had started and well into their career. And of course it was a long time after that, before I would start listening to Rush. But, um, my, most of my memories of Neil are of course of, of Rush memories, uh, so I, I guess I want to, without being too long-winded, I want to take you a little bit through my journey of kind of hearing and falling in love with this music, uh, especially, and I don't mean to this as a jab at you or anybody else, around people who often would <laughs> criticize Rush and criticize me for loving this band um, because a lot of people can't stand them, <laughs> which has always been funny yeah. to me be because... Uh, they are so successful worldwide, but there's a lot of people who are just not into it. And I get that. Uh, but yeah. I, a couple early memories. I don't remember the first time I heard Rush. I felt like the song Closer to the Heart was always one that I knew of, even before I knew the band. Uh, Closer to the Heart was probably one of the more radio-friendly ones that came out. Um, sure, I sure. remember uh, the first time I ever, ever really paid attention to the band was when the album test for echo came out in 96 one of their later albums in terms of their career and the song that really grabbed me on that was called driven i remember being with you and a couple other people uh in goodwood of all places and going into the uh, gas station convenience store looking at the rack of magazines and I think it was our friend Phil who grabbed the drummer magazine or the bass player magazine or something and 
in one of the new additions was the music for Driven to play it on guitar or bass. Oh, um, huh. It's got a kind of a funny time signature. Um, so that was kind of the first one. So that was the first album I got. I think somebody got it for me for, uh, for Christmas. Someone in the music class put it on. We had, um, I think it was grade nine music, and there was always, you know, once or twice a semester, a music appreciation class where each student would get to play a song and share what they liked about it. And and also, I think it was to encourage not only us sharing our musical tastes, but also getting to try and describe some of the musical and technical aspects of the song. Uh, somebody, not me, brought in a song from the Test for Echo album. And the, the music teacher, who was a drummer himself, Mr. Grassi, and he said, I didn't know Rush had put out a new album. And we were kind of like, oh, you like Rush? He's like, oh, guys, <laughs> Rush's been around for a long time. <laughs> um, yeah, right, right. And <laughs> I still, you know, this was even before, you know, we all had computers and internet in our home, and I didn't know of their history. As I expressed my... Uh, my love for this album and this music more and more people older people were saying well you got to check out this album or that album and I was starting to learn more and more so I started to pick up albums just here and there that I would see them and grab them and learning what a vast treasure trove of Rush music there was fast forward a few more years when you and I were picking sweet corn most of the people I had been around with up to that point were not really into Rush but we met a few people who were uh, Jeff Moore and Dustin Wood uh, mm-hmm. were both uh, were musicians, one a drummer, one a bassist, and we also enjoyed it. And they were some of the ones who were buying some of the new albums. And they actually had, I think, gone to see them in concert, at least one of them, and some of the other guys as well. So I, I've started to find some other people that I could share yeah. the love of this music. Because, again, it, it's a heavier sound. It's a complicated sound. Some of the songs are, are very long. And Getty Lee's voice is a bit of an acquired taste. Yeah, that's the big one, I think, for for a lot of people, who, especially in the classic rock spaces. Uh, they might appreciate uh, Neil Peart's drumming. They might appreciate, uh, you know, the, the music sound and energy of the band. But Getty's voice is just something that some people uh, get stuck on. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 never been an issue for me. I, in fact, I love his voice and I think it's so cool, especially the early stuff. He just wails. Um, my wife said the other day, wouldn't it be cool to hear Gwen Stefani cover some early Rush? And I thought, <laughs> oh, yeah, there's some similarities there. Yeah, um, right, yeah. But um, in uh, just before that time, at the end of high school, 2001, I joined a little punk outfit, a three-piece punk band with a couple classmates. And we would meet in uh, Dave Fasulo's basement. His, his parents had allowed us to create a little space where he had a drum kit and... Uh, I played bass and another guy, Marco, played guitar and we hacked around a bit and we would share music as you do. And Mm -hmm. I brought a CD of uh, a live album I had called Different Stages Live, which was some of Rush's performances from their 94 uh, Counterparts tour and their 96 and 97 Test for Echo tour. All mashed mashed into a, a three CD set first two cds for from those tours and the third cd was uh from like a 1978 tour like one show in uh i think in london hammersmith odeon so really really cool but the song i wanted to play for them was neil pert's drum solo i said guys do you like rush and they either said i don't know who they are or no and i said 
you gotta listen to this 10 minute drum solo and neil pert would do a drum solo for every tour would have one crafted out and he would add a little bit to it each time usually yeah. i think called the rhythm the rhythm method some hardcore fans will be screaming but yeah it's called the rhythm method and he would have this you know epically long drum solo and later on you would hear even more where he would program different things into his programmable kit and on um the r30 dvd they did an r40 as well but the r30 dvd he has a lot of kind of swing and jazz uh samples mixed in and he adds that in and, and drums along to that because really that's he you know he does a lot of jazz and swing and mixes that in so this is what i wanted to play for the guys and they were really really blown away by this drumming when i played them some other tracks they were less interested <laughs> i think maybe because of the vocals but um they were really into that so i continued to take rush along with me and finally in 2010 my wife and another uh, girlfriend from church got together and they both decided to buy uh, rush tickets for their husbands so i went with my friend andrew hughes i think it was 2010 to see them at the the molson amphitheater now budweiser stage oh, wow. I don't, and I, don't think um, I remembered that you had gone to see them uh yeah. yeah it was the only time i got to go it was the um i haven't got all of their later albums because they've they've had a lot but i think it was their time machine tour and okay. one thing they did they, they like rush is even in the early 2000s when our friends were going they don't have an opening band usually <laughs> because they don't need one <laughs> they come out they usually do about three one-hour sets something like that and on this tour they were doing one of the sets was playing at least side a but maybe both sides of moving pictures uh, and also they had a lot of video interludes where they had created these sometimes very humorous videos and at the end of this tour the video they play after is of with uh, Paul Rudd and Jason Segel playing their characters from the movie uh, I Love You Man. And you huh. can YouTube this one. But it's them, the two guys, having backstage passes and being waiting for the band to come back to their dressing room. And uh, the band comes in and, you know, one of the guys in the band says, uh, I saw three in the front row. And the other one says, I saw two up on the balcony. And then Neil Peart or somebody says five women at a rush concert that must be a record <laughs> and, uh, they go they go into the dressing room and uh uh jason siegel is eating uh neil pert's sandwich <laughs> and he said like he won't notice and uh they call him mr p mr mr peart um, which again is another kind of inside joke for people never knowing how to properly pronounce his names hey is that my sandwich sydney I told you not to eat Mr. Peart's sandwich. It's just Peart. You sure that it's not Peart? I think he would know. Are you sure? Because we're pretty big fans. Then the last thing I want to say, and I know I'm kind of rambling here, but I just have a lot of fond memories. Um, this past year, and if you're familiar with the podcast, you know I've been talking a lot about getting into vinyl. Um, I got a record player. I was getting it repaired, and I went across the road. Um, some One of my neighbors was having a garage sale and said, hey, my next-door neighbor has a bunch of vinyl. I went and looked. And there was tons of Rush. I think I picked up six Rush albums. And I said, um, why are you getting rid of all your Rush albums? <laughs> like, <laughs> as if, who would ever even do that? And he said, well, I don't have a player anymore. And I don't really listen to it anymore. And everything else is digitized. So I don't need the discs. Um, so I took them all. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, earlier today, I did. I needed to throw on moving pictures just to hear that. And um, But, you know... I was always fascinated with 
what Neil Peart could do on the drums. His yeah. style, his style was unique and complex and technical. He was a pleasure to watch because he would just look like just zen at the drum kit, just so focused, very serious, and those crazy solos. And then to see pictures of his drum kit, this immense 360 degree drum degree drum kit and when you see them live and if you've seen any footage when he does that solo there's a point where where it rotates 180 degrees so that you he kind of has almost two or even more separate kits so he'd kind of switch to another one on the other side but they'd spin it around so you could see so he was facing the audience still so um <laughs> that's interesting my uh yeah I- I watched a, a little bit of one of his solos with um, my oldest daughter last night, um, just sort of in that reminiscing space. And she had no idea who he was, but in watching for a few minutes, she said, how does he get in there? There's no space to get into that <laughs> drum kit. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's cool. Um, yeah, your comment about uh, that line from the mu- movie about, about women, I've actually been surprised by... Um, the number of uh, female friends who have commented over the last uh, 24 hours about their sadness at this. Um, a couple of them are, are um, maybe spaces that I, I'm not too surprised. Our, our mutual friend, Beth Grove, um, mm-hmm. he worked at the Sweet Corn Farm too. And so I <laughs> uh, was around enough classic rock uh, uh, just uh, at the farm, but also growing up with us around that I'm, I wasn't too surprised. She had um, uh, she had the lyrics of uh, one of Rush's songs and something that I, I don't think I realized until seeing the tributes come out over the last couple of days is that Neil Peart wrote all their lyrics. Um, not only was he phenomenal, yeah. drummer, but, uh, he is their lyricist, which is kind of amazing. Um, so she had that up as a, a tribute. Um, one of our local artists here in town, uh, her name is Molly Countermine. She's... Um, uh, lead singer of a duo called Ted and Molly, and she had uh, a little tribute up as well. She she talked about uh, poking fun at her husband for his love at, of Rush, but over the time of their relationship, has sort of fallen under their spell. And um, <laughs> as a musician, you know, it reached a point where she was like, "I can't mock this band anymore. Like they're all so talented. <laughs> I'm I'm just uh, I'm." now i'm a fan and and so she was lamenting that sort of transition i guess that she had at one point not given them a whole lot of credit and she said a turning point for her was um the documentary about their band's journey called time stand still i I don't think i've ever seen that have you no i have not seen it and maybe we'll have to check it out sometime and maybe do a uh, uh watching together or something like that um so anyway, that was that was cool to see. A couple of other friends as well. Um, a friend of the podcast, Jason Crane. Um, if you follow his Twitter feed, you know that he wrote a poem about um, as a sort of awkward teenager discovering Rush and discovering the sort of empowerment of uh, their music that helped them kind of move about in the world. And he talks about you wow. know starting you know, hunched over on the school bus with his Walkman as a way to sort of escape the world, to sort of becoming more confident through Russia's music. And uh, um, yeah, those, those stories are really powerful to, to hear and to see and, um, and things like that. Uh, the only final one I'll say is uh, a guy who I used to play 
worship music at a church in California that we attended. His name is Joel, and he had a, uh, a Paul McCartney style bass, kind of the the old okay. uh, F hole bass <laughs> style. I always thought of him as kind of more of a uh, Beatles rocker kind of guy, um, but he posted that that it brought tears to his eyes uh, hearing the news about Neil's passing, and he described him as someone who thought about drumming the way that. Uh, Isaac Newton thought about math, methodical but intuitive, open-minded but with a particular flair. He thought about every note he played and, if asked, could explain exactly why he picked every drum strike in a song. And I thought, wow. man, that's that's pretty powerful as well. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that's kind of – I didn't want to go too deep on that. Well, that's already 20 minutes, 22 minutes. Um, <laughs> do you want to dive I, into Spirit of Radio and do it track by track? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> no, I, I got to go uh, to bed. I'm tired. Yeah. <laughs> no, uh, but yeah, th- uh, you know, thank you, Neil, for everything you gave to rock music and certainly the music of Rush. Absolutely. Um, oh, one more thing. I'll cut this back in. Uh, yeah, he was... I think the primary lyricist, I, I don't want to say definitively he wrote every lyric, but I, the vast majority of them, maybe all of them except for the first album. I saw an interview once where uh, he was asked about that, and he said, well, uh, Getty and Alex have a way with notes, and I have a way with words. Wow. Uh, and I'll write like that because they wrote all the music. Now, I, as- I assume they would turn to Neil to say, you know, what do you want the drums to sound like here? Or please put something in here. Uh, maybe they had the general beat or the time signature, but I imagine they would have turned to him. But in terms of the structure of the songs and the notes and, and everything, that was them. But he, he wrote all the lyrics, which I think is, is unique. I don't think you'll have a lot of bands where the drummer, the one who's not writing the music, is the key lyricist. But he, I think, was penning lyrics and quite complex and profound lyrics at times. Sometimes very fantastical and, uh, you know, kind of creative and out there and other times very insightful. And uh, I know he was uh, very well read and well studied and and was uh, into things like philosophy and uh, I think Eastern religions at the time, but I'm not an expert. Um, Yeah. But uh, but yeah, certainly a, a gift, uh, not only in his drumming but also his lyrics as well. And I think there's a lot of people pointing that out in this last yeah. week as they reflect. Like, hey, yeah, uh, one of the best drummers ever, but don't forget, uh, lyricist as well. Right. <laughs> so um, yeah, yeah, very and I very think cool. Watching the uh, spectrum of who um, has been moved by him in some way reminds me too that this is not uh, a Canadian icon that's only known by Canadians. Um, right. There's lots of there's lots of great musicians that fall under that category, but this this was a global star at the drum kit and um, made a difference in lots of different corners of the globe. So, yeah, rest in peace. Yes, rest in peace, Neil. Thank you so much for uh, for the gifts you gave us. Um, thoughts um, go out to his family and those who knew him well at this time. And uh, if you're not if you listen to this, and you're not familiar with Rush. Um, you know, just go and listen to a few tracks or, you know, there's a lot of just drum solos out there right now. Google some of that and uh, familiarize yourself with it. And I'm sure you can find some people around you who appreciate it, who can guide you along the way, because uh, even though sometimes it doesn't seem like it, there are lots of us out there. So until next time, uh, everybody, uh, take care of yourselves. Thanks, my friend. Talk to you soon. Thank you, Ben. 
Take care. If you like what you hear, subscribe on your favorite podcast app and write a review. Send us a message at our Facebook page, on Instagram, or through our SoundLogic Podcast Twitter feed. Thanks for listening.